kicking things off on a Thursday afternoon. Welcome back to Sportsnet today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. With you for the next two hours. Hour two, Pat Steinberg will join the program. Coming up over the next couple hours, we have our NHL off-season review segment that continues. We'll look at the Stanley Cup runner-up in the Florida Panthers. George Richards from Florida Hockey Now is going to join us in just a couple of moments. We'll have uh, Pat join the program at 2. We'll tee up the Bombers and the Stampeders. Week 11 of CFL action kicks off tonight from Hamilton with the Ticats and the winless Edmonton Elks. And then Friday, it's the Stamps and the Bombers for Legacy Night at McMahon Stadium. Depth charts are out for the Calgary Stampeders, so we'll get you set for that game on Friday. We'll also have a Stamps report with Maddie Rose as well. And coming up later in hour two, very excited to uh, chat with a former member of the Calgary Flames, now a defenseman for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But TJ Brody and his wife Amber are going to join us. Very special day in their family. They've teamed up with A&W and MS Canada to raise money to uh, hopefully one day beat MS. Uh, Amber diagnosed with MS during TJ's time with the Calgary Flames, uh, and they've been working pretty tirelessly since that point uh, to raise money for a cure. And today, a very special day for both of them, so they'll join us in hour two. So lots to get to as the program rolls on. Start quickly with the Toronto Blue Jays looking back on last night for them. Disappointing end to their two-game set against the Philadelphia Phillies. Not uh, the same sort of pitching performance that they were hoping for on back-to-back nights. You say Kikuchi did a great job out in game one of the series, but not the same case for Kevin Gosman. Jays get lit up and uh, split the series with the Phillies after a loss yesterday by the tune of 9-4, to four, your final score. So not great for the Jays, but uh, they'll look to bounce back. Pretty quickly here, off day today, back at it tomorrow when they hit the Cincinnati to start a series against the Reds. Jays sitting at 67 and 55, but have split their last 10 games evenly with a 5 and 5 record. As of right now, the Reds 63 and 59, they're third in the NL Central. Friday going to be an Apple TV Plus game. So the Sportsnet Television Network will not have it for you, but we will have the call for you. Here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. We'll get your starters and everything set for you uh, tomorrow. We'll bring back the Jays report with Taylor to get you set for the Jays and the Reds' important series for them. Some injury uh, news coming up for them. Bo Bichette getting closer to a return. Chad Green getting closer to a return. Same for Trevor Richards. So should have some significant Jays news to uh, to pass your way in the next couple of days as they get set for that series against the Cincinnati Reds. But we are kicking things off today with a segment we've uh, done all summer here on Sportsnet 960, the NHL offseason and review, taking a look at pretty much all 31 teams across the National Hockey League and what's happened uh, over the summer. It can be a busy month, hard to keep up with all of the moving and shaking around the league. And uh, today focusing in on the Stanley Cup runners-up, the Florida Panthers, obviously lots of Calgary connections in Florida. What has Bill Zito gotten up to this offseason? 
to help us answer those questions. We head down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Welcome in from Florida Hockey Now. George Richards joins us. George, thanks for the time as always, sir. How are you? I'm good. What's going on? Not much. Uh, just keeping up uh, on NHL news throughout the season here as we get ready for training camp in a couple of weeks. But uh, I wanted to talk to you about the Panthers and the offseason that Bill Zito's had. Obviously, uh, you know, a little disappointment coming that close to a Stanley Cup and not winning it. But how has Bill Zito, in your mind, sort of used this offseason to better his team? Well, you know, obviously, uh, with, you know, so many teams up against the salary cap, there's only so much you can do um, as far as, you know, trying to, you know, fill some holes and things of that sort. Uh, Panthers lost a couple players, uh, you know, in free agency. Radko Gudis, you know, one of their better defensive defensemen has gone. Um, and they've got some injury problems. But, you know, they had about $10 million to spend, and, they tried to spend it wisely. They tried to, to, to fill some holes, um, a lot of one-year deals, especially uh, on the blue line, um, and, and, you know, just trying to, to, to keep what they've got going. And, you know, and, and, you know before next year when, when you know, the, the, the money might open up a little bit for them. Let's talk about that blue line because I feel like that's where we saw the most change this offseason in Florida. George, and it feels like uh, Oliver Ekman Larson, fresh off that buyout from the Vancouver Canucks, looks to be one of the bigger ads for the Panthers this offseason. Yeah, they hope so, right? I mean, he's obviously the biggest name. He's a you know player, you know, pretty well known around the NHL's last couple years in Vancouver. Well documented that they have not gone well. I mean, Vancouver obviously wrote a gigantic check just so he wouldn't play for them anymore. So. Um, he's got a lot to prove. He's here on a one-year deal making about $2 million. So nobody will be talking about his contract anymore. Um, so that weight's kind of off his shoulders. But listen, I mean, he talked a little bit about the injury things. He had a broken foot last year at Worlds, um, re- you know, refractured the foot. So maybe he was playing through some things. And the Panthers hope that, you know, not, not just a change of scenery, but, but a chance to, to, to rebuild his game, rebuild his name, um, will benefit them, uh, at least in the short term. As far as things go with, uh, with the D, who's going to fill in that, that role that Radko Gudis had the most in your mind? Because especially during the playoffs, his style of play really looked to shine for that group, uh, George. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be tough. I mean, you know, physically, um, you know, I think we all know Radko Gudis for, for, you know, his, his big hits. Um, you know, he was known as kind of a headhunter early in his career. That was gone, you know, here in Florida, the, that part of his game. But he was still a guy that would lay you out. And that I don't know if they're going to be able to replace. And But, but at least defensively, uh, Nico Mikola, a guy they, they picked up, uh, you know, obviously uh, made a name for himself. Um playing in St. Louis and then he got traded to the Rangers uh, at the deadline. Uh, Florida, I believe signed him to a three-year deal. So he's a guy that's going to come in and, and, you know, maybe be like their, you know, their stay at home guy, start a lot in the defensive zone. Um, so he's, you know, kind of the guy that you, you point to and say, if anybody's going to replace Radko Gudis's role, it would be him. Brandon Montour really, uh, you know, shined on the offensive side of things last year, exploding for a season high, uh, career high, I should say, 73 points in those 80 games. How important is it for him to to maintain that sort of offensive output for the Panthers heading into next season? 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it was a great year for Brandon Montour. He was a guy that, um, you know, found himself thrown into the mix a lot earlier than than, than maybe Florida had anticipated. Uh, Aaron Eckblad got hurt in the third game, and they told Brandon Montour, hey, you know, this role is yours, and he he took it. Um, you know, all of a sudden he went from playing 17, 18 minutes a game to 26, 27 minutes. He was running the top power play. That obviously helped his uh, uh, offense uh, production out. Um, he's not going to start the season. It does not appear. He, uh, he got hurt in the playoffs, needed surgery. So the Panthers are going to be without him at least the first few weeks of the season, maybe a month, maybe two months. We don't know. Uh, Bill Zito hasn't given us uh, the timetable yet on Brandon Monter's return. But, um, yeah, he's obviously a big piece of this Panther team. He's a guy that um, they've counted on pretty much since they got him at the deadline in 2020. Uh, 2021 during that uh, the, the the COVID year, um, so yeah, I mean they they love the guy. He's a, he's a big part of their team, and uh, they'd like to see him back on the ice as soon as he's able. Uh, look at the forward group. Not nearly as much changes on the forwards as we saw yeah. in the defense for this Panthers team this offseason. But uh, a guy that has probably been in the rumor mill for a long time finds a new home in Anthony Duclair, and uh, a guy like Evan Rodriguez comes into I, I would assume fill a lot of that role that Duclair had, except hopefully maybe stay a little bit healthier than a guy like Anthony was the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, Anthony obviously had the Achilles thing. I mean, that was about it as far as injuries went for, for Duclair. Um, he actually, you know, was, was pretty healthy for Florida up until, you know, he got hurt, you know, off-season thing um, last summer. Um, but, yeah, that's, yeah, he's, yeah, I mean they they traded Anthony to declare so they could free up the money to to get Rodriguez in here, um, and signed him to a four year deal. So you know that would have been money that maybe they would have given Declare had they wanted to, but they give it to 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 Rodriguez. Um, he's you know he's going to get an opportunity here to play top six, play on the right, you know perhaps on the top line. Um, with Sasha Barkov and, uh, and and Carter Verhage, we'll see how things work out when Paul Maurice kicks off camp. But uh, the Panthers really like his game. Um, he's a guy that you know that, that, that you know the analytics have loved for years, mm-hmm. and, and wherever he's gone, he has produced. So now that the Panthers, you know, hope that you know he plays defensive style, but he's also got you know a nice offensive touch. The numbers don't match what Duclair did, but the Panthers think that there's going to be, you know, more roundness to his game, and that's going to help out the team a little bit more. What uh, what's a fair expectation heading into this year for a guy like Anton Lundell, who's played a lot of hockey for a guy at just 21 years of age, but has you know at times been a very key member for what the Florida Panthers have done, especially yeah. going back to last year. They love him. I mean, let me tell you, he was the first guy that that, that Bill Zito drafted back in 2020. Um, he was always, you know, kind of picked as he's going to be the the number two center here for the Florida Panthers behind Sasha Barkov. Well, then the Panthers go and get Sam Bennett. He kind of takes over that role. But again, like you said, Anton Lindell, very young, you know, still a young player. Last year, he kind of had a sophomore jinx. He went through a long stretch where he didn't record any points and seemed to maybe have some self-doubt. But, man, I'll tell you what, in the playoffs, it it clicked back into into place. Um, He was a huge part of the Panthers' run during the playoffs. And I think that no player, um, you know, aside from, you know, Matthew Kachuk, whose star went through the roof, 
um, you know, benefited more from that long playoff run than Anton Lindell because he just you you could just see it click for him, and uh, all the high hopes that the Panthers have on him, um, you know, seem warranted warranted because he was he was a different player in the playoffs than he was in the regular season. Uh, knowing that he's an RFA heading into next season, George, does it make sense in your mind that the organization would look to get pen to paper with him on an extension sooner than later? I would think so. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's obviously an important part of the team. Um, you know, he plays the exact style that they want. Um, and he's produced, um, you know, he's, he, he's one of their, one of their guys and, you know, part of the group, core group of this team. Um, yeah. I would think that the Panthers are going to lock him up and, and try and, you know, maybe, you know, even a you know pretty long term deal, maybe buy some of those UFA years. I know it's early because this is only year three for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you might be you might see a five six seven year deal for for Anton Lundell, sure. Uh, obviously, the guy that uh, we know best here in Calgary, aside from Sam Bennett, is Matthew Kachuk. Uh, a a yeah. dream year for him in year one, just short of a Stanley Cup. The only thing else he really could have accomplished there in Florida. Uh, I, I guess the only thing I would ask you on, on Matthew, because he was so successful in year one, George, is, is A, I guess, how does he follow it up? And I guess B, is it is it even possible to ask that knowing that he's going to have a slower start to this year, just recovering from all the injuries that he had and built up in the playoffs? Yeah, I <laughs> I don't know how he matches what he did last year. I mean, you look at the numbers he put up, um, you know, all-star MVP, third in the heart, um, and then what he did in the, the playoffs uh, was just, uh, you know, pretty outstanding. Um, yeah, but, I mean, again, he's, you know, one reason why made it such a target when, when they found out that he was on the market was because he is just now hitting into a stride, and they, they expect that. I mean, you, they, they expect 100 points out of, you know, out of Matthew Kachuk every single year, and why not? I mean, he's done it now the last two years. Um, but, uh, yeah, again, his, his star is just starting to, to take off down here and, 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 you know, throughout the NHL and, you know, I, I, again, like you said, it's going to be tough to, to match what, what, you know, he did in year one, but he's got seven more years. So, um, they're expecting more of the same. Uh, a couple more for you, George, George Richards joining us down the Atlas beach and sports bar guest hotline this afternoon covers the Florida Panthers for Florida hockey. Now. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the goaltending situation. I know it's one that uh, you guys have talked a lot about in your neck of the woods with, you know, Sergei Bobrovsky's performance uh, in the playoffs, you know, really exceeding a lot of people's maybe expectations given what they'd seen from him to start his Panthers career. And, uh, you know, sort of the news towards the end of the year that Spencer Knight was entering the player assistance program. I know Anthony Stolarz has been brought in as sort of a veteran option in between there, but is the expectation to go into the year with, with Stolarz and Bobrovsky right now and sort of let Knight take all the time he needs to get back to, to hockey? That's what it sounds like. I mean, I I would not be surprised to, to see um, Spencer Knight, even with a $4.5 million uh, salary that kicks in this year, start the season um, You know, with Florida's AHL team in Charlotte, um, play down there, just play, you know, every other game or, you know, cause they play three games in a weekend or something, you know, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Just to play a lot down there, which he, he probably wouldn't do um, with the Panthers just because Bobrovsky, you know, wants to get off to a good start. So you're going to start a lot of Bobrovsky early. So that means a lot of, you know, sitting on the bench 
And we've, we've seen, you know, goalies rust up a little bit. And we've seen that, especially from Spencer Knight, when he backed up um, Sergei Bobrovsky, you know, he wasn't as good as when he was starting every game. So go let him go play some games, but we'll see. I, I don't know what the plan is. It's going to depend on how things look in camp. Um, things could definitely change um, when, 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 when things get going here in training camp. But I would not be surprised to, to, to see that kind of combination to start. I guess as we sort of wrap here, as you look at this team heading into this next season in the Atlantic Division, they, they barely squeaked into a playoff spot last year. George, I know you know all about that too well uh, and the conversation that came with that. But has a, a, a run to the Stanley Cup final now and given everything they accomplished in the postseason sort of raised expectations for the group and sort of put that mindset that squeaking into the playoffs probably won't be as accepted as it was this past season? Uh, yes and no. Uh, okay. it, it definitely raised. It raised. Oh yeah, no, no, no. You're 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 absolutely right on the point that you know that what they did in the playoffs really you know opened up some eyes and like it, it kind of justified how this team was put together um, and it justified the entire regular season where this team kind of struggled. Uh, one of the big things down here was the Miami Heat and the Florida Panthers went it went through the exact same regular season and then went through the exact same <laughs> postseason. The Miami Heat were frustrating, um, you know, and the Panthers were as well. It took them till midseason to win three straight games for the first time. Um, but when you talk about that, they won't be acceptable for them to slip in. They're probably going to slip into the playoffs again yeah. this year, just because of the injuries, just because of everything that's going on. Um, and that's fine. They don't have to win the Atlantic. They don't, you know, we saw what happened when they won the president's trophy. They were out, you know, in, in four games in round two against Tampa Bay, just make the playoffs and win. We'll see what happens. The Panthers, you know, that that's what hockey, what's great about hockey is, you get these eight seeds beating one seeds all the time. We, we rarely see it in the NBA. We did this year with Miami, but you rarely see that in hockey. You see it all the time or, or, you know, fairly, you know, it, it, it happens. So just yeah. make the playoffs and we'll see what happens. Uh, Florida knocked off number one, Boston, number two, Toronto, and then, you know, or number three, Toronto, and number two, Carolina, and then, you know, just ran out of gas. So yeah. just make the playoffs and we'll see what happens. George, great stuff as always. Always appreciate you giving us some time up here in Calgary. Uh, enjoy the rest of your summer, and we'll check in again when hockey's back, eh? All right. Sounds good, my man. Be good. Take care. Thank you. George Richards joining us this afternoon down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline covering the Panthers for Florida Hockey Now. It's an intriguing team coming off of that Stanley Cup final appearance. Can they maintain? Like I said to George there, I feel like they're going to be a little bit more of the hunted this year that that – you know, squeak into the playoff mentality might be a bit hard for them uh, in the back half of the season. They've made some changes. I wasn't overly enamored with their blue line last year, but when the playoffs came to it, Brandon Montour was great. Radko Gudis was great. Uh, you can only, you know, expect so much out of a guy like Aaron Ekblad. Um, is Oliver Ekman Larson going to be able to fill a role? Dmitry Kulikov is there. They've got some guys that, I don't know have the the name value to them as much as others, but they pieced it together in a, a pretty fashionable way last year. It worked out well for them when it was all said and done. And the forward group really hasn't changed much, if at all. Almost all of those names that you recognize from the Stanley Cup run last year for the Florida Panthers are going to be back this year. It really has been Duclair out and a guy like Evan Rodriguez in. 
could that be uh, a more balanced lineup for them? Can they repeat some of the success they had? You heard George mention there too. You know, you're going to be dealing with a couple of guys. Montour is going to be one of them. Kachuk's going to be one of them. Maybe even Aaron Eckblad going to be one of them that don't start the season fully healthy for this Florida Panthers team. That's tough. That's a really big ask to go into uh, the start of the season without some of your most key players. That's where you're going to need guys like an Evan Rodriguez, a Sam Bennett, an Alvarez Larson to step up and sort of you know pull the boat forward if you're the Florida Panthers. And what's still going to be a tough, uh, tough Atlantic division. I know the Bruins were expecting to take a step back because of all the talent they lost, but Toronto's still there. Tampa Bay's still there. We know that's become a great rivalry over the last number of years. Buffalo was one point shy of Florida in the regular season. Goal differential and home record didn't work out for Buffalo, but when it's all said and done, they were just a point back of the Florida Panthers, and Boston, Buffalo excuse me, has got another year of development for some of their young players and taking that next step forward, and it kind of feels like that's the same conversation with a lot of teams in the Atlantic. Sends bad year, but are they that much different? It was kind of Tarasenko for Debrinket there. They've changed up goaltending. Can they take a step forward? Detroit and Montreal, two very young teams. I can't imagine that Montreal uh, makes the playoffs next year, but do I expect them to be better than the 68 points they put up last year when they've got guys like Suzuki and Caulfield, uh, et cetera, et cetera, continuing to get better? It's an interesting Atlantic division with teams that are kind of in, in cup contending windows and then these young teams up and coming who are going to start to challenge in the next couple of years. Thanks again to George for joining us uh, down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar uh, guest hotline. Our offseason in review going to continue uh, through the next couple of weeks here on Sportsnet today. We will take a break. We'll come back on the other side. We'll check in on the Calgary Stampeders. Matt Rose has your stamps report today as depth charts are out for the stamps for their game against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And we'll talk about a very cool charity initiative happening in our city this weekend. That is coming up next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, hour one of the program continues. It is Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. It's Logan Gordon along with you this afternoon. Still to come, checking in on the Calgary Stampeders, head of their matchup against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers Friday night at McMahon Stadium for Legacy Night. We'll have a Stamps report with Matty Rose. And uh, I think me and Pat will jump into it on hour two of the program as well. Rosters and depth charts out for Friday's game. So lots to get into from a Stampeders perspective. We'll take a look at the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and their 7-2 start to the season as well. Plus, coming up in hour two, uh, very excited to chat with TJ Brody and his wife Amber uh, on uh, what they're doing in the charity scene to help beat MS. And a quick reminder, Shaw Charity Classic. Tees up tomorrow. Second round of the Pro-Am is today. Entry is free before round one gets going on Friday morning. But right now, very happy to let you know uh, about something coming up this weekend. Over 20 Calgary minor football Benjamin Pee Wee teams are going to be showcasing their skills and team spirits to families and fans alike on Saturday, August 19th of the 13th annual Calgary Minor Football Charity Jamboree. One place event, one oh, excuse me, one day event takes place at Shouldice Athletic Park, raising money for Ronald McDonald House Charities. Thirteen years uh, for this uh, wonderful event in our city, and very happy to have on down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. One of the founding forces of this event, uh, Al Cooper, joins us this afternoon. Coach, thanks for the time. How are you, sir? 
Very well. Thank you very much for uh, giving us this opportunity. Hey, absolutely. Glad to uh, to bring a spotlight to the event. And uh, 13 years now going on for the Calgary Minor Football Charity Jamboree. Got to be excited for another year here, hey? Well, most definitely. For the players to get an opportunity to to experience some exhibition games before the regular season starts. But more importantly, for the kids to learn what it is to give back and you know the contributions that have come in over these uh, past 12 years. You know, reaching four hundred and twenty thousand dollars for Ronald McDonald House is—it's every kid that plays in that tournament on uh, Saturday can walk away feeling like he did help contribute to uh, the success at Ronald McDonald House. Uh, Ronald McDonald House is a very well-known charity in this area, and all the help that they provide to uh, Albertans across the province. But Al, if you could just just give us uh, a little bit more background on on why they're the charity and what they do uh, so well in our province for people who need the help. I think uh, a lot of people uh, indirectly or directly have been somehow connected with Ronald McDonald House, either having a relative or a family friend or somebody along those lines that has had to take advantage of the opportunities that present on on accommodating families from out of town and and uh, making them comfortable by going in and preparing meals for families that are staying at the house and those type of things. And by getting young people involved at a young age to see what they can do as they get older and more mature is is a great benefit to everybody. Uh, so you guys have a number of different ways that you can help uh, provide for this great event, and that's obviously one is going out to the event on Saturday. It's open to the public. It's at our great uh, location at Shouldice Athletic Park where we got all three fields ready to go for the teams on Saturday, but there's a number of different ways that people can help out, including uh, a 50-50 raffle and a silent auction and a bunch of other stuff. Why don't you tell us what people can expect when they head out there on Saturday? Yeah, we started the 50-50 about a month, about a month ago. And it's picking up steam right now as we get closer to the event on Saturday. Um, the uh, minor football uh, organizations here in Calgary are picking up the cost for the fields, which gives us, you know, that much uh, more of an opportunity to to increase the amount of money coming in. Mm-hmm. We also have a sponsorship opportunity with three or four different levels, and we've been very fortunate this year to have picked up a couple of uh, a couple more sponsors that have contributed a few thousand dollars here and there, and that adds up to about. Uh, at least 25 or 30 percent of the the forty thousand dollars that we'll probably bring in again this year, and those sponsorships come from various companies, some alumnus that played band of football. Um, you've got people that that um, the Calgary Stampeders, the Calgary Stampeder alumni, those people that are that are connected to football, but at the same time we have families that own businesses that are not connected but do mm-hmm. want to see opportunities for Ron McDonald House, and that helps out there. Uh, where can people go if they want more information about either what's happening on Saturday or how they can get involved? I think if they go to our, I'm just going to check and see what sure. our website is. Oh, yeah, it'd either be Facebook okay. or Instagram, and all I'd have to put in is Calgary Minor Football Charity Jamboree, Perfect. and it'll give uh, almost everything they need to know uh, for the day of the event and. And what we have is it's minor football as a true minor football. It's uh, 22 teams in total. Uh, Peewee age players are uh, ages 10 to 12, and there'll be 11 teams there. And then Bantam age is 13 to 15, and there'll be uh, 12 teams there. And it's uh, they come in, all of the city of Calgary is covered, as well as uh, Airdrie, Chestermere, um, Okotoks, and uh, Cochrane. So there'll be about uh, between 700 to 800 uh, young men playing football and ladies playing football there on Saturday. Uh, again, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, on yeah. Saturday, a chance for you guys to head down, 
the 13th edition of the annual Calgary Minor Football Charity Jamboree 50-50 raffle going on. Uh, you guys have, a, I believe you have a silent auction as well at the venue? Yeah, we'll have a, I don't know if the silent auction draws on some baskets okay. that have been assembled with, with many things, as well as one of our biggest things is our baking tent. Nice. If you can imagine with kids from the ages of 10 to 15, that's where mom and dad are being asked to take them to uh, as soon as they get off the field or in some cases before they uh, get on the field. Absolutely. I can imagine yeah. that's a, that'll be a popular one for everybody on Saturday and uh, a yeah. great chance to, to grow out and see some football. Don't have to be a parent. Don't have to be a relative. If you want to help support this cause, come out on Saturday uh, and enjoy some great football show days. Really one of our great uh, athletic venues across the city. It's oh, very definitely. picturesque. You guys have been there plenty of times, Coach, uh, to see yeah, it, you know what a great facility it is. Come in, and all that is 100%. And I did miss out on one team. There's a team that uh, doesn't participate in our league, but is coming out from Drumheller with 13. Oh, perfect. So you're going to have you're gonna have a little bit of everywhere across the province then. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. Uh, Coach, really appreciate this. Thank you for all the work that you put into this great event. Uh, hopefully the time today will get some more people out to your event on Saturday. Best of luck. Uh, to everybody that you got going out there. Hope you guys raise a ton of money on Saturday. Thank you very much. And there's well over, just over 100 volunteers that are putting in as much time as I am. So I'd like to thank them while I have this opportunity. Absolutely. Coach, take care. Have a great okay. day on Saturday, hey? You have a good weekend. Take thank care. you. Bye, Bye now. Al Cooper joining us this afternoon. Once again, the 13th annual, 13 years we've been doing this. Coming up on Saturday at uh, Shouldice, it's the Calgary Minor Football Charity Jamboree one-day event at Shouldice Park, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. they got a 50-50 online raffle that goes until the end of the month. They're going to have some basket draws, gigantic bake sale, peewee and bantam minor football games on all three fields. They're going to have concession there with Spolumbos. Uh, just a ton going on, and again, all of it to raise money for the Ronald McDonald House Charities of Alberta. Facebook, Instagram, really the best way if you want information, just Google uh, the Calgary Minor Football Charity Jamboree, and you can get all the information you need. Again, parents, family, obviously going to be big to go and watch the kids play football on Saturday. But if you're in the neighborhood, if you're looking for something to do for a couple of hours, please feel free to stop by. Check out Shouldice. It's a great facility uh, and a great chance to uh, to help support one of the most important charities doing great work uh, in and around our province with the Ronald McDonald House Charity. So once again, thanks to Al Cooper uh, for joining us. If you missed any of that, uh, shoot us a text. We can get you as much information at 960-960 as we can. Speaking of football, we've got some football they played on Friday at McMahon Stadium. It's the Stampeders and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Lots to get ready for the Stampeders out of a key game against Winnipeg. With your Stamps report on this Thursday, here's Matt Rose. This, this is the Stamps Report with Matty Rose. The Calgary Stampeders held their walkthrough Thursday morning as they prepare for their Friday night game at McMahon Stadium against the 7-2 Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Calgary will look to get back in the win column after a disappointing result in BC last week, getting blown out by the Lions. Jake Mayer talked about wanting to get right back on the field after a game like that when he addressed the media Thursday morning. When you, uh, when you get your tail kicked like that, um, you would play the next day if you could. Um, that's not how it works. Uh, you gotta you gotta take your humble pie and uh, sit sit on it a little bit and, and dwell on it for a couple days and then you're right back to work. Um, but the challenge is, uh, I mean, the challenge is what it is, right? It's uh, maybe even tougher than the one the week before. So uh, we got to be willing to accept that and uh, and answer that bell, especially at home. You know, whenever you're at home, it doesn't matter who comes in here. 
uh, you should you should feel good about your chances because um, you know you get to play in front of your own your own crowd and your own comfort and and uh, you got to defend that. So that's the mindset right now. All fair points by the Stampeders quarterback. It's been a frustrating season for this group. Even these last few weeks, they find a way to beat the Argos at McMahon, but then they go to BC and fall on their face. Stringing together consistent games has been a struggle for this iteration of the Stampeders. You know, when we have been beaten, uh, we've responded pretty well too. So, I mean, it's, you know, I guess uh, I guess you're proud of the response throughout the year, um, but you're just trying to get to the point where, hey, whether you win or lose games, you, you play well. And if you lose playing well, um, obviously it stings. That still stings, but you're able to accept it more you know you're able to say hey, you know i put my best foot forward i played well and they just happened to make more plays than us that night or you know whatever it may be um in certain games this year we just haven't played well or played well and that is uh is is much less forgiving uh from our perspective so um i always say every week i just want this this team to play well i would like to play well um and all those everything else should take care of itself because i know we have great coaching i know we have good preparation and, and things of that nature. So we have to perform and execute every time we play, and the winning and losing will take care of itself. But you got to start somewhere. A win against the Bombers would go a long way. Dave Dickinson talked about something interesting Thursday as well when he was asked about the differences between this group of Stamps and the teams of 2016, 17, and 18 when they made it to three straight trips to the Grey Cup game. No, I know winning, and that it does breed more winning. Um... If I knew exactly what I would fix it, um, trying to work as hard as I can, but sometimes you can overwork in the sense that you just got to let guys play and give them some freedom to make a mistake and feel like they're not out the door. Uh, so we are trying to bring in, obviously, the best players and the best look we can. But um, first off, you know, we've had a rough go on the injury front, as other teams have, but certain positions, keys, we haven't had other guys necessarily uh, fill that void. But I don't feel like the guys we brought in uh, are, they're helping us. Every time we bring someone in, they're on the field almost immediately and they're doing a good job. It's just the continuity and trying to keep everybody the same. You know, I am envious. I think I think Winnipeg's had the same roster for a couple, three weeks now. Uh, you do get envious of that. But as a player, if it was me and I was a backup, I'd be loving this opportunity. I get my jersey on. I'm playing. I'm going to try to make plays and be part of something, turn it around and, and see if we can get this thing going in the right direction. And some interesting points brought up there by the head coach. This being the day before the game, we did get depth charts for both clubs. Four changes this week for Calgary. The most notable, the loss of Canadian rookie receiver Clark Barnes being replaced by veteran American Marquise Ambles, playing his first game for the Stampeders since he signed with the clubs just a couple of weeks back. Head coach and general manager Dave Dickinson talked about the knee injury that has the rookie Barnes headed to the six-game injured list. Yeah, it's not, not looking great for Clark. I mean, we don't have a plan yet on exactly what's going to happen, but it was a knee injury. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly where we stand, surgery or non-surgery, but uh, certainly going to be out a few weeks. That is disappointing for both the team and the player. Through nine games, Clark Barnes caught 25 of 38 targets for 234 yards and one touchdown. He's also shown dynamic ability on special teams, returning a couple of missed field goals, including one for 86 yards, which is the second longest kickoff missed field goal return all season long. Pardon me. He's also racked up a respectable 379 yards as a kickoff returner, taking over for the injured Peyton Logan early on in the season. 
Barnes is actually ninth across the entire CFL for combined yards, but now he's going to miss some time. Quarterback Jake Mayer also talked about losing one of his dynamic receivers. Oh, that's that, that hurts, man. I, I love Clark. I love how I love this the consistency he brings every single day. Like when he comes to work, he's super professional for for being a rookie, and I, I just appreciate guys like that. Like you want guys that you go in the foxhole with that you know that you can trust, and he was definitely one of those guys. So that definitely hurts. Fortunately for us. Um, you know, Marquis going to do a hell of a job of, of filling that role because he's done a hell of a job his entire life in this league, right? So I have history with Marquis as a rookie. I know what he's about. I know what he's going to bring. Um, and as you know, I, I, I hurt for, for Clark. I'm excited for Marquis, though. And like you heard from the quarterback, Jake Mayer, the loss of Barnes does breed opportunity. This week, we'll keep an eye on Markeith Ambles. Spent a few years in Calgary, left for Toronto, was released midseason, promptly signed by the Stampeders a couple of weeks back. Dave Dickinson talked about his addition, as well as Tommy Lee Lewis, who's had a couple of solid games lately. A couple of receivers that could prove to be important to the club as we enter the second half of the season and, most importantly, this game against Winnipeg. Yeah, we're taking advantage of that 20, uh, 23 play rule that was put in. And so uh, Tommy's our primary returner. I got a lot of confidence in all the receivers. Markeith, uh, for me, is, is a guy that gives me a lot of depth and plays multiple positions. Like, he can play three, four positions, and I feel confident he knows what we're doing. It's been quick, though. He's only been here two weeks. Um, but I do feel like Tommy Lee should be on the field a little bit more, and we'll just figure out where we want to put him. One of the things that could help the offense is creating some more chunk plays. It's great to get five yards on a first down run, then convert the second down and kind of plod down the field, especially when you've got the lead, but sometimes you're going to trail and you got to stretch the field a little bit. Jake Mayer sits second last among qualifying quarterbacks in average pass depth, just 8.4 yards per throw. Only Taylor Cornelius of the Elks is lower at 8.1 yards. It's not to say they don't try stretching the field. For instance, Jake Mayer has made 33 pass attempts over 20 yards, but he's only been able to complete 10 of them, about 30%, significantly lower than the league's top quarterback. Zach Caleros, 22 for 47 of, on passes 20 yards or more. That's just below 50%. Chad Kelly has completed 23 of 40 attempts, which is over 50%. Vernon Adams Jr., 25 of 52 on pass attempts over 20 yards, right around 50%. Jake Mayer talked about wanting to stretch the field when he spoke to the media on Thursday. Definitely, yeah. It's definitely something that we always try to emphasize. Um, uh, whether we execute or not is on us. Whether we get to it or not is on us. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we always try to be. I mean, we've had flashes during the season where we've looked very explosive and then flashes where we haven't. And a lot of it is a little bit game, game plan specific. Um, you know, so it is always a topic of conversation. It's always in a game plan. It's just a matter of uh, getting it done when it's called. Um, and, uh, and executing. And did just want to mention one more thing on the offense, too, before we move on. This is Jake Mayer's team. Maybe we see more Tommy Stevens. The only other change for the offense is their third-string quarterback, Logan Bonner, is going to dress in Chris Reynolds' stead after Reynolds handled some mop-up duty in BC last week. But Dave Dickinson said that's just part of the rotation. Nothing to it as much as we had a we had a plan uh, – uh, we actually had a plan to invest in both guys. and We were going to try to – if – no injuries happen. Try to make it more of a balanced, you know, nine-game, nine-game thing. It's kind of bad timing the way it worked out, but uh, got a lot of faith in both those guys. They're working extremely hard. They, they take equal reps in practice, whether they're the third string or the practice roster guy. So we're looking hard to invest in both. Other changes, Aaron Crawford returns as long snapper, so Maxime Latour was released uh, when the team signed Shaq Richardson earlier on in the week. 
Richardson, the defensive back, won't play. The only change on defense sees Elliot Graham replace Brad Muhammad. More of a special teams move than anything. The only change on the actual defense for starters sees Trey Roberson move over to the boundary corner, where he typically has played for the Stampeders, and Jonathan Moxie move over to the field corner. So they swap. Jonathan Moxie has been out in the field side for quite a while until kind of the last season and a half. Moxie's also a game-time decision with that back issue. Hopefully he can go because this Winnipeg receiver group is no joke. Dalton Schoen, Kenny Lawler, Nick Dembski, their top three is a handful. Nah, I mean, we, when, when you play man, you got to challenge them. You don't, yeah, you might get beat, but you got to challenge them. You got to get up on them and challenge them and you know, you just got to, in your mind, say, um, you're not beating me. And they might, and you might, as a DB, you got to have a short memory. If you, if you get beat, believe in your technique and see what you see and, uh, and believe that you can get the job done. So, yeah, our, we know they have a good group, but, you know, one of the good things about it, you play man to stop the run, and they have a great run game. So um, you also play man to me because – Football comes down to a lot of one-on-one battles, and I'm hopeful that our guys win a lot of those one-on-one battles. One wrinkle to this matchup uh, from the opposition is the quarterback for the Bombers. Zach Caleros listed as the third-string quarterback after he took a hard and borderline late hit from one of the Elks defensive linemen last week. That means that Drew Brown will start for Winnipeg after leading them to the come-from-behind win over the Elks. Dave Dickinson talked about both the injury to Caleros and what to expect from Drew Brown. Well, he looked good. I saw Zach was listed as third. I, I don't know. I don't want to act like I'm the expert on concussions, but I was nervous for him, and I'm uh, hopefully he's feeling good. Uh, he's on the other team, but I still got a lot of respect for him. And Drew came in though and really executed and did some great things and looked super confident. He's been there three years. He's not a rookie. He knows our system. They have a great system, great players, and uh, I'm sure he'll feel very confident when he's in there. It's our job to make life rough on him. I feel like I've seen enough of him. I mean, he played against us uh, a few times in the past as well. Uh, might have been his first uh, extended action here. Um, good player. Uh, been in that system for a while. And Dakota's there, let's not forget. They got they got a good quarterback room. They got good players. I don't think they're worried about it. Obviously, Zach's a loss. Let's not kid ourselves if he doesn't play. But uh, they got a good room. Stampeders and Blue Bombers. Some Friday night football at McMahon Stadium. It's also going to be legacy night as the team celebrates the 25th anniversary of the 1998 Grey Cup winning team. A young Dave Dickinson was just finding his way as a second-year player and backup quarterback to Jeff Garcia. He took some time on Thursday to reflect on that team with Post Media's Danny Austin. I didn't have the, the same pressure. I didn't feel it in 98 because I wasn't around long enough felt it in 18 and uh, I was like I knew that group was on the verge of breaking up too we had just too many good players and everybody's contracts were expiring there was a new era of you know salary caps and all that business so uh, I knew that was going to be one of the years we had to take advantage of we just had two heartbreakers Um, you know I look back a little bit different in 98 97 was a rough year like I think we got our 10 and 8 or something but it wasn't a year where we had everything rolling but 96 was a tremendous team and I before I was here with the Doug years I mean best player ever in the league you would think you might have more championships I know those guys were feeling the weight and when they won it uh, you know I remember being happy but it was the vets it was heavy relief just like man yeah we, we did it and uh, that was why you could see the exuberation and somewhat of almost like a weight lifted off some of these guys shoulders you know with Rocco there and 
on the horse. I certainly remember it and a uh, great memory. I talked to Vince Danielson yesterday and he described him and Jeff Garcia after that final drive that set up the, the game-winning field goal. You know, barely even being able to watch the, the field goal, having full confidence in Mark, but you were actually on the field. Who was the pinner? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Tell him, Ronnie. Well, what do you remember from that game? Well, see, Mark had had, Mark's dad had passed that year and probably had his worst year. I, I just remember he was Percentage-wise, was probably, but um, like I said, I I just I do remember I was playing. I don't like try to act too too tough. But I had a broken wrist, so I was getting like back in our day, you just use drugs and you just tried to play. And uh, I really didn't think about it. But the snap that there was an earlier one that skipped to me. This one came in a little hot high. Just try to get it down, give Mark a good look. I do remember. Uh, kind of walking off and celebrating more by myself. I think Mark took off and did his thing with some of the other guys. Hoping to see Mark. Uh, rode him, didn't get a response back. Hope he's well. But I know Tony will be here, and uh, we had a lot of classic guys and um, good memories. What was Jeff like in the locker room, Jeff Garcia? Like Just like you see him. I mean, Jeff's Jeff. Jeff, you saw his video. Jeff, heavy energy, uh, loves, nobody probably loves football more. Gets that, uh, chip on his shoulder from his from his dad and from his family and from maybe a lot of people through the years telling him that uh, he's not gonna make it uh, I just really like playing with him because of his energy and who he was he was he was actually unselfish he was a guy he just wanted to play he wanted to win when I'm in there he's helping me when he's in there I remember one time he popped a contact out I put his contact in for him you know it was just one of those I felt really confident that we were both there for the same reasons and I highly respect him as a, as a person and an athlete uh, looking forward to seeing him. And a great succession plan, too, as well, between you and him. You both actually ended up in the NFL. I don't know if he had words of wisdom for you as you, you tried no, to... No, we played each other on my first game, uh, and Doug Flutie was with the Chargers with us. We've got a nice picture of that. Not that, I mean, but uh, it's weird because the next year we played San Fran as well, and uh, that was my last game with the Chargers, and, and they put me in with 40 seconds left. They didn't even let me compete, and Jeff, that's when Jeff was the starter, and, and it he didn't play the, that preseason game we talked after and we both I was worried I was like I wonder what's going on and that was more about mentorship and talking scenarios out than actually when we're going at it and, and competing and doing those other things but uh, real good friend uh, guy that I like you said Every time you see him, your life gets better. So looking forward to him coming in this weekend and, and being that guy. Not to ask about a guy who's not here, but Alan Pitts won't be here. <coughs> so yeah, but I mean, yeah. it's such an important part of this, this team's legacy. Yeah, I love Al. I don't know what's up with Al, but uh, if he's listening, uh, we miss him. We hope to see him soon. Not sure where life is at with Al, but uh, you know, to me, Alan Pitts for me, and then G-Roy, Simon are the two guys. Just tremendous, tremendous players, talents, the work ethic for both of them. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to throw a lot of the balls at Al when he was breaking his records the following year, and he made me better. So we miss him. A lot of guys that aren't here, we miss you, but uh, let's stay in touch and let's see if we can get, get another reunion down the road. Should be a fun night at McMahon. A win over the Bombers would be a tidy little bow on what should be an excellent celebration. With your Stampeders Report, I'm Matt Rose. Thank you, Matty. Appreciate that. As always, we'll dive more into the Bombers and Stamps matchup in Hour 2. We'll get a live stamps report on Friday with Patrick Dumas. But Steinberg joins the program next. Hour two of Sportsnet Today is coming your way around the corner. You're on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.